Welcome to the Best Player Wins Podcast, where we believe that winning is winning, no matter by how little or by how much. We are your hosts. I am Nate Endries, hosting alongside my brother Nick this week. Welcome to the podcast, Nick. Thanks, Nate. Glad to be here again. Yeah, so wasn't the original plan for it to just be the two of us. It was supposed to be me, Nick, and Jake, but Jake had something come up last minute. So me and Nick... uh, are going to be taking it this week. So welcome into episode three of the 2022 season. This will be the, I guess, the week one recap looking ahead to week two, even though it's already started. And when I say week, I just mean the scoring periods. So we're going to quickly recap, and this is going to be a different way of recapping this year, just because, again, I've already mentioned this on earlier episodes, but Some of the weekly recurring segments last year started to feel a little redundant, repetitive. So we're trying to quickly, um, not necessarily do away with them altogether, but make them more quick hitting. So looking back at last week, Jake went four and two with his predictions. I went four and two as well. I believe the two that we uh, got wrong, I picked Jake to win in his matchup versus Courtney. So I got that one right and he got that one wrong. But then in the flip side, he picked JC to win my matchup. I, or I'm sorry, he picked me to win our matchup. I picked JC, so I, that was the one that I got wrong. And then we both got uh, Scott versus Eddie wrong. But Nick, we are going to do three big takeaways. I'm not sure if we're going to stick with three every week, um, but we're going to start since there was so much that happened over the first scoring period. So give me, we'll go, we'll trade back and forth. Give me your first of your three big takeaways from week one. The first one I had was that Justin Verlander is back. And this is exciting, you know, to me because I never really saw, um, you know, the top end ace Justin Verlander with him out last year because last year, the first year in quite some time I paid attention to baseball. But, I mean, the results are speaking for himself right away, uh, as well as the underlying numbers of his pitches. And when I say underlying numbers, I mean his fastball is averaging 94.6 miles per hour which is identical to what he managed to do in 2019 when uh, – was he the top pitcher that year, Nate? I, I don't know. 2019, I know that there was a year where him and Garrett Cole were neck and neck, and I believe 2019 was when he won the Cy Young. So that sounds okay. right, that, that he was the top pitcher. So it's averaging the same of when he was healthy – and the top guy at the time, and he's had 15 Ks to three walks and 13 innings through his first two starts, only giving up one run. Um, his last start, he went eight scoreless innings with eight strikeouts, only three hits. He also hit his 3,000th inning, inning pitch. And uh, with that start, he's the first pitcher, I saw this cool stat, he's the first pitcher to throw eight-plus shutout innings with eight-plus Ks on under 90, 90 pitches on the road since uh, Greg Maddox did it. In 97 at Yankee Stadium, so he was just very efficient, uh, just cruising against the Mariners the other night. So that was my first big takeaway. Yeah, that's a good one. I, I thought that that was a pretty risky pick by Jake with the second round. That was his second round selection, but then again, it came right after a pick that I, I made that I thought was pretty risky of Logan Webb. So it does look really encouraging for Justin Verlander so far. Um, definitely... Did not expect him to go so deep into games so early on after not pitching at all last year. So that's interesting. My first tip, big takeaway is that Sam's team is as good as we thought it would be. 
Uh, Sam was our leading scorer and beat Jerwin by over 200 points, scoring 431 to Jerwin's 242 last week. And surprise, surprise, uh, the leader on his team in scoring was a guy that I liked during our very first episode of the year, Josh Bell, who scored a whopping 44.9 points. So off to a great start is Josh Bell. But some other big scorers for Sam's team were Starling Marte, Dylan Cease, whoever, you know, Jake and I talked about a lot of people like him to break out this year. He is well on his way to doing so. Corbin Burns, you know, scored 30 points. Not the not the best of what we've seen from Corbin Burns, but pretty reliable. And really, that's that's kind of the, the storyline of, of this first matchup was almost every player on Sam's team was reliable. There was only one player on his offense that failed to put up 20 points. And most honestly put up 25 plus. So that's just exactly what you want to see. Doesn't really look to be a weakness on Sam's team. So that was my first takeaway. Nick, give us your second takeaway. Nice. Way to make me worry as I'm playing Sam this week. Uh, though my second takeaway gives me some some confidence. My second takeaway is we may have a new superstar forming in the MLB in his very first week of action. And that's Seiya Suzuki, who was just awarded the NL Player of the Week. And he's already set a Cubs record for hitting uh, hitting streak to start the season as a new cu- uh, new player to the organization with at least one hit in his first eight starts. And I think that just extended. And, uh, you know, he has some great underlying numbers as I was looking into him more, trying to see, you know, is this a guy I should really be buying into this league and other leagues I'm involved in? And he's just starting the year off so well. You know, apparently had, he brought uh, pretty good plate discipline over. So you like that for points league. Um, and then you look at, well, how's he hitting the ball? Is he getting hard contact? Well, he has a 929 overall slugging right now, which is, you know, total number of bases per bat. And he's leading the league in total bases per swing. He has 40 swings and he's producing 40 swings, four home runs, two doubles and four singles with 11 RBI. So he is just crushing the ball um, and just producing at a rate that I don't think people foresaw coming at least right away. So it's pretty exciting to see. Yeah, not to mention he has triple outfield eligibility, so that's always helpful. You mentioned he has good plate discipline. He actually has more walks than strikeouts so far. He has 10 walks to 9 strikeouts, so you'd would lo- you'd love to see that if you own, say, a Suzuki. I'm looking at his baseball savant page, which is just the stat cat readings on his bat and ball profile right now. He has a 75th percentile hard hit percentage, so not necessarily elite, but it is well above average. You like to see that. Um, and his stat cast page is basically dark red almost everywhere. Um, so you do like to see that for Seiya Suzuki. Definitely a player to be excited about. My second takeaway is that it is looking like it's hard to say because I've already seen some of these guys that I'm about to read off on this list kind of come back down to earth this week so far. But I'm thinking that there are going to be a ton of waiver wire hits right from re- uh, week one. Um, and some of the guys that I noted that I think are going to have some staying power, you know, off of their hot start to the season are Merrill Kelly, Tyler McGill, Sean Murphy, Michael Lorenzen, Andrew Heaney, Kyle Wright, Daniel Bard, Connor Joe, Jesus Sanchez, Jeff McNeil, Elias Diaz, and Kyle Gibson. Those are just the guys that I personally see some staying power with how well they've been performing to start the year. I think that they can... Maybe not sustain it to how hot they've been, but I think that they'll be fantasy assets throughout the year. There have certainly been 
probably five or ten more that I didn't list that are off to just as hot of a start as all of those guys, but I don't necessarily buy it so much. So all that to say, um, there were a lot of exciting players pulled off of waivers just in the first scoring period. Nick, what is your third big takeaway from week one? My third big takeaway is that you, Nate, your pitching staff is on fire. Um, I think it might be getting cooled off a little bit, just a little bit right now, but still you have a lot to be excited about with your pitchers. And you have Logan Webb who's holding form from what he did last season. I mean, he's just crushing at the start of this year with his first few starts. And then uh, you've been getting great production and getting, you know, excited about pitchers like Hunter Green. Uh, We just talked about Jesus Lozardo, who had a great first start right now. He's not having the best start uh, tonight, um, but then you still also have guys like Kyle Wright, who's been crushing at Nestor Cortez, who just lit it up the other day for the Yankees. And then you have, you know, guys I'm not even mentioning, like Sandy Alcantara, who's a reliable arm. Um, another big name that people are getting hot on, even though he's a reliever, is uh, Spencer Strider. And then you have Alex Wood, though, I think. Um, no, that was Cobb. Who got, I always get those mixed up, Alex Wood and Alex Cobb. But Alex Wood and Tanner Houck are a few other guys that are intriguing to have that you're not complaining about as being like fill-in pitchers. And then you just picked up Kyle Gibson off of waivers, which oh, was that Jared one who dropped him? Yes. I mean, he had a great first start. I know he didn't have uh, the best second start, but boy, I think he should definitely be rostered uh, in, in every league. You know, he's a quality guy. You can place in there whenever, you know, whenever the start is right when needed. And then you still have guys like Lance Lynn and Sonny Gray on IL. Um, I know Sonny Gray is more of an up and down guy, but Lynn's typically not. So you have a lot to be excited about with your pitching staff. Yeah, I think you're jinxing me in live action because I'm watching as Logan Webb through not even three innings pitch has already given up three runs to the Mets. So he is not off to a good start tonight. Yeah, um, but this has kind of been the story with pitching this year. Yeah, yeah. You and I were talking about it before we hit record. Garrett Cole not looking hot himself. So I think it's pretty rare if you find a guy and and most guys have only taken two turns so far uh, as far as making you know number of starts you're just starting to see at the beginning of this week guys picking up the ball for the third time so even guys who have been studs through the first two starts um, the book is certainly still out on them which I think you and I both agree don't necessarily get discouraged if guy that you thought was breaking out kind of has a dud of a third start or a fourth start like it's just going to happen due to the abbreviated spring training. Um, my third big takeaway, and this is, I guess, a bit of advice. Maybe it's a little late now since it. <laughs> I was looking at the waiver wire today. The top when when the top of the waiver wire is like the first, you know, maybe twelve of fifteen names are middle relievers that are like old, or you just know who they are as a pitcher. That's when you start to You'll feel like. Them. no do not go grab them that's when you start to kind of feel the the slim pickings of the waiver wire like shoot it's probably a little late like there's not going to be too many more exciting options that emerge um such as frequently as they did in the first scoring period i guess i mean that's normal like you just there's so many players that went undrafted or, or go undrafted in all leagues that emerge in the first few weeks of the season but i feel like our waiver wire is, is so scarce right now. But my third takeaway to finally get to it is react early, but tread lightly. And I say react early because I named all of those guys in my second big takeaway, who I think will be pretty good fantasy assets, you know, this season. But 
you'd also want to be careful that you don't drop a guy too early. And I will reference the the gaff of last season, which was me dropping Trevor Rogers after I think his second start didn't go so well. And then obviously he turned into a very productive pitcher for you. I know he hasn't been that good this year, but certainly worth um, and, and carried keeper value into the season and, and into this year. So you want to react early. You want to hopefully get as many of the guys that you feel are having true breakouts as you can early in the season and kind of churn the bottom of your roster. But you do want to be careful to not give up on guys that you believed in so quickly like I did last year. So I've been trying to navigate that myself. I don't know if you have anything to add or any comments in closing of our three big takeaways, Nick. Nope, I would agree with that last one. Cool. That brings us to our first standings update. So I'll give you the top three in the standings for each division. So in the East division, which we thought was going to be loaded, it does seem that that held true, at least for the first scoring period. In first place, we have Sam, good on paper, who, you know, he rebranded from weak pullout hitter. He's 2-0. Second place, we have your team, Nick, Freedom All-Stars, also with a 2-0 record. And in third place, Jake's fantasy baseball team. Again, 2-0. Then in the West Division, in first place, we have my team, Demons in the Infield, with a record of 2-0. In second place, this one's a surprise. Um, Eddie, gone forever with a record of 2-0. And finally, our first team in this top three standings update that is not undefeated coming out of week one, it's Jordan's team, the Walk Institute of Research. He is 1-1 coming out of the first scoring period. So it does seem, and if you look at the kind of the overall standings, like comparing division to division, it does seem so far that the East division is going to be a little bit more of a gauntlet than the West division. And now I'm actually seeing Jordan is 2-0. and I'm wondering if there was like a correction in the scoring. Ooh, it's interesting. So I wonder who that, that bumped down. No, yeah. Eddie's Eddie's still two and zero. Because remember, those were the two battling at the median line. Yeah, I'm actually going to go back. Sorry. So we're going to take a brief pause right now. Not like actually pausing the episode, but I just I'm just curious to see what happened here. So it has our standings that there is no one and one team. Yeah. So I wonder who got bumped down. So Eddie and Jordan are both over the median. I'm looking for the team that would be seventh in scoring. And it looks like it was JC. So JC, I think, was previously over the median. And for whatever reason, I guess scores got corrected. There must have been a stat change. I'm not sure exactly what happened. But it looks like JC was 1-1 one one previously, I think. And now think he is 0-2 right. with there, Jordan being 0-2. I'm two. sure there's a way in the app um, in Fantrax to go in and see what stats were changed for what player, I'd imagine, right? Yeah, I, I would think so. I'll have to ask Jake about that. But it is looking like... Good catch. Uh, yeah, JC is now 0-2 with Jordan being... Even though he's the third-place team in the West Division, I believe he is now undefeated. So that is, that's interesting. That's something that we just figured out live. But let's move on to our first uh, official trade talk segment of the season. I know we kind of briefly touched on the Luis Robert and Ozzy Albies trade last week but let's officially talk about trades that have happened since last week's episode the first being one that you and jordan made nick you gave up shane bieber jordan gave up shane mcclanahan and jake's words a shane for a shane 
I like it. That's our dad's name. <laughs> yeah, that's that is our dad's name. I will lead off, give you my thoughts since this was your trade, and then you can kind of maybe talk us through what you were thinking. I don't think that this was uneven in any way. I think that it accomplished completely different things for the both of you. With Jordan, I think it makes sense from a standpoint of you're giving up an unproven pitcher for a guy that's still young, that has won a Cy Young in the past, and can potentially be your staff ace, even though you already have one, hopefully, in Robbie Ray. Um, and then from your standpoint, Nick, Shane Bieber's velocity has been down, and I don't think that it's a stretch to say, you know, a lot of people in the fantasy industry are saying, if his, if his velocity doesn't come back, he is not going to be as productive as obviously if his velocity was up. So you might be, I don't, you know, I don't think there's a world where Shane Bieber is not startable, but I think that maybe if the velo doesn't come back, you're maybe looking at like a low end SP two or a high end SP three, as opposed to the ACE that you were counting on him to be. And I think you're probably counting on and his last, his start last night, you know, gives you encouragement on this. You're kind of counting on Shane McClanahan to step into that potential ACE pitcher with how many, you know, what with his swinging strike percentage. So it's really hard to say which side I like more. I think it was more savvy on Jordan's part just because of the proven track record. But this, I think the book is still very out on this trade. So curious to hear your thoughts, Nick. It's interesting you called it savvy on his part. And I do agree in that you look at it on paper and you see Shane Bieber's going for Shane McClanahan. Yeah, probably would always side the Bieber side. Um, and you and I talked about this a little bit after the trade took place. And I told you it was more of a gut feeling. Sometimes you have to follow your gut, even if it's not going to be seen as a win to most, or you're seen as getting the better deal to most, um, though it does make sense. And you kind of already laid it out. I was getting worried about his velocity being down. Um, you know, you look at his first two starts, they were, they were okay. I mean, you faced the Royals and the Reds who are pretty, pretty bad lineups, especially the Reds. And he had a no hitter going through five, I believe, against um, against the Reds. And I, I watched the whole game and I was like, OK, like this is good. Like I need him to do this. And then I think it was a six where he started getting hit and getting hit really hard and literally watching the sixth inning and the way he got hit. I thought, oh, man, I don't know about this. And then I listened to those I respect in the fantasy community, the quote unquote experts um, and every one of them were saying they didn't just have concerns, but they had major concerns for Beaver. And so that's when I thought, well, maybe I should look to sell him sooner than later before he has a blow up game. And everyone's going to point and say like, look, see, told you it was going to happen. His velocity's down. Um, and initially I was looking to get more, uh, for him, but then like I had McClanahan, another league that I actually traded off and I slightly regret, but, um, I since have been wanting to get McClanahan in other leagues and I just don't have any shares of them and it just boiled down to uh, through negotiations. I thought to myself, would I just straight up trade Bieber for McClanahan? And uh, I thought that would like overall, I, yeah, I decided, yes, I, I would. <laughs> I made the offer to Jordan uh, and he accepted it and that's where we are. And so I'm rolling with Shane O'Mac I like the high strikeouts. I like, even though he's not a proven talent, I like what the potential is. Um, I like what people are saying about him that are close to him in the organization and those that analyze numbers better than I do, how much they like him. 
Um, doesn't seem like he's getting hit real hard, which is what he did last year. And that was a big concern coming into this year. Like that's why I trade him in another league to value up to Sandy Alcantara, who's more of a proven pitcher because Shane McClanahan, when he got hit last year, he got hit really hard, but I mean, he's, he's cruising and he seems, uh, I mean, he is their staff ace and on a good ball team where uh, Bieber is not on a good ball team and has some concerns and health concerns. And I've been just airing towards the side of trying to get safe, high-end output where I can is kind of been my philosophy this year. Sounds like you and, have and I know you were saying McClanahan might not be a safe high-end output because he's young and unproven, but my gut tells me that he is. So sometimes you just have to follow your intuition. Sure. Yeah, I can understand that. It sounds like you had a touch of seller's remorse in that other league where you sold McClanahan. You wanted to yeah. get a share back. I mean, <laughs> I can't say it's remorse yet because I think Sandy Alcantara um, – is going to be fantastic. And yeah, that, he's, he's a stud. that league awards quality starts and he does nothing but just puts in innings and does a great job doing it. So I'm not disappointed. Sure. I can understand that. Second trade. The only other trade of the first scoring period was me getting, sorry, me giving Elvis Andrews and getting in return from Mike, Andrew Benintendi. I'll let you kick us off, Nick. I know this isn't a big one. No, I don't think there's much to say about it. Um, I mean, I think it was uh, Sam who said it was smart on both ends, a need for a need. It just was funny in the moment that is more like saying like, Mike, pay attention to the waiver wire. Nate just added this guy. Now you're trading for him, somebody that's producing for you right now. But it's, yeah, that's all it is. I mean, you're getting a guy that is more valuable for your roster and Mike's getting a guy more valuable for his. Um, That's all it is. But I do, like I said to the group, it wasn't a knock on you. It's just point out your strategy, which you have openly to to the group uh, shared how it has worked for you is the small trades, the small dominoes lead to bigger dominoes that fall later down the road. And I I and a few others point out this is the first. (laughs) Sure. For what it's worth, Andrews is currently starting in Mike's lineup. Ben Intendi is not starting in mine. But I picked up Andrews because he was kind of the hottest bat on the waiver wire at the time uh, while Bogarts was struggling for me through the first week or so of the season. Didn't really have any intention of trying to like quick flip him to anybody, but Mike just happened to ask me about him because Ansby Swanson has not been good for him so far. And he just said, would you take Ben Intendi for him? I kind of checked the projections um, in terms of what I had Ben Intendi projected for preseason, like pre-draft. And I have him projected on the season. You know, who knows how how it'll play out and how he'll get there. And you also have to keep in mind, like, there's you don't just look at projections when you draft. It's just like you said, you have to kind of take into account gut feeling. But I'm just reading you some names that I have projected to I almost identical scoring outputs this year as I do Andrew Benintendi, Alex Verdugo, Austin Meadows. Kyle Schwarber, Brandon Lau, Giancarlo Stanton, even Christian Yelich I only had projected for, I think, 15 more points than Ben Intendi on the season. Again, these other guys that I just read the names of, I think, have a lot more upside to offer than Ben Intendi, but obviously each of them have flaws, which I think is probably why this projection system that I use to develop my own projections likely has him finishing among some of those names is probably weighting their flaws, I guess. Um, yeah, so it's funny because all those guys are starting pretty hot. I mean, you mentioned Ben Attendee, yeah. Verdugo starting off really hot. 
Um, Meadows seems to have found his spot in Detroit. I know he faces, uh, what was his struggle? Facing lefties? Yeah, he got and now there's a, nothing but righties in that division. Um, and he's been doing pretty well. I, I was just commenting on the few that you mentioned. Nothing too big to add, though. Sure. Yeah, so I figured I'd just take a shot because I did not have Andrews projected as highly as Benintendi, but... No, definitely not. Let's move on to the main piece of content this week. The main segment is going to be buy or sell post-week one edition. So what I did was I kind of wrote uh, a headline or just a statement for each one of our 12 teams. And Nick and I are going to tell you whether we buy, whether we sell, and then we're going to explain why, you know, the why behind our answer. So we're going to start from the bottom of the standings and work our way up. This is probably going to be slightly out of order now, given the the scoring correction with Jordan being 2-0 and JC now being 0-2. But regardless, you kind of know the general direction that we're working from here. So we're starting with Scott's team. And the statement is Spencer Torkelson, CJ Abrams, Julio Rodriguez, and Jared Kellenick have all combined to average a measly 1.08 points per game through the first week and a half of the season. Perhaps this is not the year of the prospect, at least not for the top prospects. Nick, are you buying or selling the sentiment? This one was hard for me to decide on. My thoughts were I'm not a huge believer in prospects after last season, you know, season of watching these guys come up and not producing one of them being uh, Kalanick. How do you say his name? I, I go back and forth. I actually haven't listened to the Seattle broadcasts. Kalanick, Kalanick, you yeah. can probably say either one. You know, he did so bad and he's still doing so bad. Um, so it leads me to believe the by the thought that this is not the year. However, I decided to sell this line of logic because I want to, I want to buy into these prospects. Now I might just be now buying into it because I've been learning about these guys after diving into prospects for you know roughly a year. And so learning about their profiles makes you want to believe in them and get excited for them when they get called up. So I might just be a sucker wanting to buy into it that they can produce um, when nothing's really showing it other than really wander Franco is the one I can think of most recently of uh, of a, a prospect coming up and producing, but yeah, I'm going to sell that still. Um, but I'm going to sell it with, I believe the value. Uh, they're not going to be stars. Like they're not going to reach stardom in their production. They already have stardom in their names to the fantasy world, but I don't believe they're going to reach stardom in production. But I believe most of these guys, except for Kalanick, I think he might be borderline droppable to be honest. Um, I think they're going to have valuable contribution uh, this season. I don't know if I foresee many, if any of them reaching elite status, um, though I hope I'm wrong. It would be excited to watch one of these guys um, shoot up there in production. Um, but yeah, long story short, I'm selling the thought that this is not the year of the prospect because I want to see it happen. I'm just putting the notion that I don't think it's going to be stardom and production, that kind of production but they will have fantasy relevance and be everyday contributors to a fantasy team. I agree with you. I'm selling this as well. If you remember last episode, I was pretty excited about the potential of Scott's team, and I know that he did not get off to a good start. He's actually sitting in dead last, as you know, with, with his team leading off this segment. But that doesn't necessarily change my outlook of his team's potential just based on a week and a half of baseball. 
The only reason I personally would start to sour on Scott's team so early in the season is if these guys, particularly either of the two Mariners guys, Jared Kalanick or Julio Rodriguez, were optioned to the minors, because that would just tell me that the team made a decision that they don't feel like they're ready yet, or in, in Kalanick's case, because he's been up with the Major League Club for a while now, that they really think that he needs to take a step back and figure things out. Otherwise, you know, if that doesn't happen, I think that there's still plenty of season for all of these guys to get into a groove. And like you said, not necessarily shoot up and become elite fantasy assets this season in 2022, but certainly become major league contributors um, that I think could potentially make a difference. I think that there's definitely a line between being elite and still being a difference maker in fantasy. I think that these guys still have plenty of time to develop into those types of players. So also selling that thought. Second team that we're going to talk about is Jerowins. This one's a little bit harsh, but it, it's how I felt coming out of week one. So at the, the line is, as things currently stand, and when I say things currently stand, I mean, you know, if there are not many moves or many major moves made, Jerowin is a betting favorite to finish bottom two in the league standings. Nick, are you buying or selling this? Yeah, it might be harsh, but I think it's also true. I'm buying it. You know, offensively, apart from Trey Turner, I don't see any really solid offensive weapons in his lineup. I know he kept Jesse Winker, but I've I've not been a fan of Jesse Winker. And then the more I learned about him, you know, he's terrible against lefties. And he had to really overperform against righties last year just to kind of stabilize his batting, lot, batting line and his production. And then he, you know, he got production out of Miles Straw this past week, but I don't think that's going to sustain, at least not at a clip that is where he needs it to be to sustain his offense. You know, he needs some more stars like Trey Turner, which he doesn't have. I do, I, I will add, I like Connor Jones' team. I think you mentioned him earlier. I think he's going to continue to provide sustainable production for Jerwin, but not at a superstar clip that, again, he's lacking apart from Trey. And I think it's a similar story on the pitching side as well. You know, apart from, you know, Gosman and Giolito, I don't see much of any other players to be excited about on the pitching side, at least none that I can trust to provide consistent quality production. And Giolito just got hurt. He was just on the IL. I believe he's, you know, about to make his way back. Um, I was going to pull up, see, I don't have, and my computer's being a little slow. I was going to pull up his pitching staff to get a better look at it. Uh, I can read you off who's in his pitching staff. Yeah, go ahead. He is Gosman Giolito, who you named. And then the, the big but for Jerwin, which I will talk about when I talk, you know, when I let you know what I think, is he has Luis Castillo and Jacob deGrom both on the IR. Oh, uh, yeah. But the other guys that composed his staff are Rich Hill, Eric Lauer, nope, Tariq nope. Skubal. Nope. I don't know who this is, but Colin Snyder. <laughs> and See. then he, he does have a big a big potential arm in Grayson Rodriguez on his bench, but it's so yeah, hard to project when exciting. guys will debut. Sure. And again, though, that's a prospect coming up. How are they going to perform? Who knows? Um, I know he's a top pitching prospect, so that was a good, good grab by him. But DeGrom, I, you know, everybody loves DeGrom when he's healthy, but I don't think people are going to love him this year. And Castillo, he's not healthy. He's pitching in a terrible ballpark. Um he has a terrible defense behind him. I don't know what you're going to get out of him. So, again, apart from Gosman and Giolito, and then just like one true stud on the offensive side, I don't foresee how Jerwin, 
And I feel bad saying it, but I don't foresee how he's not on the bottom end of the standing. So that's why I bought the statement. Yeah, I agree with you here again. I, I guess I already said that because I mentioned that it was how I felt, but I am buying this. Again, this is all with the caveat that Jerwin's not creating a lot of turnover with his team, which he typically doesn't. Like he's not one of the managers that gets really trade happy. Right. And he's already put out there, don't even send offers or ideas of offers unless there's somebody on his trading block. Right. So I don't I don't particularly enjoy crapping on anyone's team on the podcast. Uh, but I think things can quickly unfold, even though the mantra is usually to be patient and see what you have in a team. But one of those things that I do feel is truly unfolding quickly in my mind is that Jerwin has a bottom of the barrel roster in our league as things currently stand. Of course, it's worth mentioning that he is missing Jacob deGrom and Luis Castillo, which would give him a nasty rotation of deGrom, Giolito, Castillo, and Gosman. Not yeah, to mention, we, we touched on Grayson Rodriguez. If he were to somehow come up by early summer, like he could have all five of those guys filling out his five rotation spots. And that would be probably the best uh, rotation in our league in terms of just one through five, if all of those guys are healthy and living up to their potential. But his team without all of those things happening, guys getting healthy, Grayson Rodriguez coming up and living up to his name is not much to lean on as far as a floor outside of Trey Turner and Kevin Gosman. Now, especially with Lucas Giolito, like it's not a major injury, but he's already dealing with a, a minor abdominal strain and he got placed on the IL. So it's just, it's just tough. It's just not what you want to see in the early going. And it doesn't really seem like a lot of reinforcement is on its way soon for Jerwin. Good thing Jerwin is a positive thinker because you have to be. <laughs> right, right. I, I'm sure things will change out because, I mean, you got a long season ahead of us. Yes, yes, we do. Next team is Big Money Mike. He is uh, third from last. So... The statement that I have for him, and I'm going to lead us off with this one, is based on his team's week one performance and Mike's propensity to trade, Fernando Tatis, Mike's favorite player, will never play a game on Mike's roster this season. I am absolutely buying this. My why is that Mike told me that he'll probably trade him if things don't turn around <laughs> <Yeah>. for him. <laughs> so line it up and start the bidding. That's what about hilarious. you, Nick? Did you turn it over to me? I did. Yeah, this is an easy buy. Um, quick story about it. <laughs> the other night when you two made a trade, your Andrews and uh, Ben Attendee trade, I was laying back in uh, Gemma's room, our oldest daughter, putting her to bed. And I had a notification come you know, to my watch that a trade took place. And I saw that it was between you two. And the first thought that hit my mind was, well, Nate just got Tatis. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I, I do think he's going to move him fast. Uh, how fast who knows only Mike uh, will I will say only Mike will know but I don't even think he knows I think it'll just be somebody will pop an idea into his head he'll run with it and off he'll go short and sweet for for Mike's team yep our next team is Brendan's uh, Buxton's revenge tour or Buxton revenge tour I think that this we'll see We'll see. I think that this is where we've agreed on all three so far. I think we might start to disagree, and it might start with this one. Andrew Heaney has found his match made in heaven with the Dodgers, 
and he will come the close the closest of all pitchers this year to replicating the 2021 Robbie Ray storyline and that is basically ascending from a pitcher that was borderline unusable in years prior to Robbie Ray won the Cy Young. I'm not saying Andrew Heaney will do that, but the headline is that he will come the closest to replicating that kind of rise. Nick, are you buying or selling this? I believe you're going to buy. I can't buy yet, so I have to sell. Though I can see why some would want to buy. Um, My thought was that Brennan should be excited about him, especially when he went undrafted, right? Like he got him off of waivers. Yep. He should absolutely be excited. He's had two great starts with 16 strikeouts across 10 innings of work with only one run giving up. Plus he has a great offense behind him to help him get him some W's on top of his starts. Um, But you have to remember, this is just two starts from a guy who's averaged just over six points a game last year through 130 innings pitched with a 5.83 ERA. And in fact, he hasn't had an ERA under four since 2015 And that was the only year of his entire MLB career that he had at that low under four. So I'm not ready to buy into just two starts just yet, though. I know a lot of people in the fantasy community have been waiting for this to happen and, you know, been saying that he's had the stuff for it. I just, I can't, when I look back through, um, you know, like seven plus years of data that say otherwise, that's a lot. It's not just a new young guy turning over a new leaf with a new team. Um, though I'd like to see it happen. It'd be really neat and great for baseball. I think a lot of people would be excited. I just can't buy yet. Yeah, it's such an interesting question because baseball is such a unique sport where the book can be out on a guy for seven years, just like you said, but they can totally flip a switch and have a late career resurgence. And not just a late career resurgence, but become an elite player late in their career. That being said, I actually am selling this as well. This is probably the only pick I'm making with my gut over my brain because Andrew Heaney has looked awesome so far. Like you said, there's not really anything to knock him for. It's been just the opposite, actually, because he's always had a good fastball, but he just needed an equally good secondary pitch to kind of take the step forward into sustained fantasy relevance. So, you know, income the Dodgers to scoop him up in free agency this year. And they help him develop a new sweeper pitch, which is basically a, a variant of a slider. But the sweeper has a lot of horizontal movement as opposed to vertical movement. So Andrew Heaney adds this to his arsenal, and suddenly he's kind of looking like an out-of-nowhere ace. And I know I basically just made the argument as to why you should buy this storyline, but I, I personally just can't do it yet with Andrew Heaney. He's burned me and others for so many years now that I personally would need to see it for probably, I think the sweet spot for me is going to be like a solid month before getting like really excited. And this was hard for me. So I think ultimately what it came down to for me was asking myself, like, would I buy high on Andrew Heaney in the sense that, you know, I don't think that he's properly valued despite his performance so far. And for me, the answer is no, I would not feel comfortable kind of, I don't want to say backing up the truck because I still think that you could probably get him relatively cheap if this is for real, but I just wouldn't feel comfortable paying something that I care to lose right now to get him. I agree. So I think that was the true test for me of whether I buy or sell this and we both sell. Yeah. 
Next team is Courtney's team. And the statement is Michael Lorenzen will be this year's Luis Garcia. And that is a top three SPARP option overall that was pulled off of the waiver wire and not drafted. I'll lead us off this time, Nick. I know he had a bad start last night against the Astros, but I am buying this. I do think that Michael Lorenzen will end up being a very valuable spark this year. I've actually been in on Lorenzen since before last year when he got hurt. He was still with the Cincinnati Reds. And that kind of delayed my excitement for his bid to earn a spot in their rotation. But now that the Angels have signed him to be a starter and kind of are insisting out of all teams in baseball to, to go with a six-man starting pitching rotation, I think that he's going to get plenty of leash to figure it out as a starter, even if he does struggle for a little bit. So despite yesterday's misstep, he was awesome in his season debut, throwing six innings of two-hit, one-run ball, where he struck out seven without walking a single batter. And I am betting that we see more performances close to that one than what we saw from him against the Astros last night. What about you? Do you buy or sell this? I'm trying to think. I'm, I'm thinking on spot right now. Who are other like top-end Sparps doing well? I mean, you have your guy, Nico Cortez. You have Ranger, Ranger Suarez. Nestor who, Cortez. Nasty yeah. Nestor. Gosh, why did, did I say Ranger you said Ni- You said Nico Cortez. Uh, <laughs> Nestor Cortez, Ranger Suarez. You have Luis Severino. Who are other guys in that role that are starters? I am looking at it now. I'm trying to think who, who he would have to beat out to be a top three Sparp is basically where I'm going to. Michael um, Kopech. I mean, as you're looking, okay, Michael Kopech. Matt Brash. Matt Brash. Okay, I'm already selling. I don't I don't think he's going to do it. Um, and last, I don't have an opinion on him prior to what I saw last year and this year. I know he had a f- great first start, and I know a few uh, people, I mean, I'm sure more than just a few. A lot of people in the fantasy community were pointing to, like, hey, this is a guy that we've been excited about. It's showing right here, finally. Uh, I'm just not there, but it might be because I haven't seen or been following his talent over the years. So I'm not saying you're wrong to believe that. I'm just not there, and that's why I'm selling it, to just make it short. Yeah, that's fair. I don't think that he has a lot of guys to beat out to be a top, yeah, you're top right. three spark. Like, Kopech, I can see Laurent. Like, I, I, don't, I wouldn't call it likely because it's so early in the season to say what's likely and what's not. But I think there's a 50-50 chance the way that that shakes out between Lorenzen and Kopech. I'd, I want to say there's still a greater than 50% chance that Ranger Suarez is better than Michael Lorenzen, but he has struggled a little bit to start the year. Drew Rasmussen, who Jake and I liked from Brendan's team on last week's episode, he, is not, he's, he hasn't been awful, but he has not been good to start the year. Luis Severino has been good, um, so not much to knock there. Esther Cortez has been good, but again, like there's not, I'm not rattling off four or five names that it's like, oh, Michael Lorenzen, it's, it's, it, it feels like a steep uphill climb for him to pass these guys. So I, th- I still think it right. could happen. Yeah. I think you can take either side, but we'll see with that one. The next team is Jordan's and we've already talked about it a little bit. But we're going to talk about it even more. The, the statement for his team is that based on the early season velocity issues of Shane Bieber and Robbie Ray, so if you didn't know, uh, not only is Shane Bieber's velocity, velocity down, but so is Robbie Ray's, who is Jordan's other ace. Jordan has the riskiest pitching staff relative to what he paid to acquire those guys in the entire league. Are you buying or selling this, Nick? I'm buying. I think that's correct. I think, uh, I mean, he needs those guys to be his two top-end guys. 
and right now they're both showing some uh, things you should be concerned about. So I think that is correct that his pitching staff is the riskiest among amongst the league. Yeah, I am uh, also buying this. I don't actually hate the risk, as I already mentioned, that Jordan took by trading McClanahan for Bieber. Don't get me wrong. Like, if we do not see the velocity bounce back from both Ray and Bieber, I would be extremely worried about the consistency of his rotation. But if both of those guys are on, those are the two most recent AL Cy Young winners. And that's obviously what Jordan is hoping to get, is their vintage form. It pains me to talk down on my guy, but it is worth mentioning that even Pablo Lopez has a shakier in, you know, injury history than your typical upside play at pitcher. So velocity issues for his top two pitchers, a shaky health history for what I would call his SP3 over Valdez. I don't know, maybe that's arguable, but... Yeah, there's a lot of risk with Jordan's rotation, so I'm buying it. And I'll add that like, I love his rotation. I like I like the names Bieber, Lopez, Ray. I'm a bigger fan on Framber Valdez more than most. Um, probably more so for a quality starts league than this format, but I still like him a lot. He still has, yeah, like you mentioned, he has guys to be excited about. It's just, yeah, there's a good uh, bit of risk coming with him. Sure. Next team is JC's team. And this is one that I'm actually excited to talk about. The statement is that CJ Crone will be what Jake wanted Joey Avado to be, and he will return top three value at the first base position this season. I'll lead us off, and I'm going to say that I'm selling this, but I actually love CJ Crone. <laughs> uh, I think that he's definitely going to finish at top five at the position based on the development that he has shown so far, as long as he stays healthy. But it was so hard for me to bet that he is going to beat out multiple of Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Freddie Freeman, Pete Alonzo, and Matt Olson especially. But even my guy Josh Bell has been awesome to start the year. So those are five guys that he would have to beat out three of to finish top three at the position. I don't think it's a stretch for him to for him to beat out one of those guys, you know, and, and finish top five, like I just suggested, but three of them, that is a very tall task. So I am selling this despite how much I love what I've seen from Crone so far this year. What about you? Yeah. You and I are thinking the same uh, though. You said sell, I said buy, but I changed. I said, I'm buying in the sense that he will be what you hope Joey Votto will be, but I'm changing the fact that it's a top three value at the first base position because I don't think anybody value or thought that Joey Votto was going to knock off your top three of Freddie Freeman, Vlad, and Matt Olson. And then there's also Pete Alonzo, the fourth guy, who's right up there, you know, with Olson on most days. And I, I feel like Freddie Freeman's in a tier of his own and Vlad's in a tier of his own at the top. Um, but I will say he's more so what people thought or hoped Joey Votto will be. So I bought that, but I agreed in the sense that I think it's going to be more along the lines that he'll be a top five for space value. There you go. I guess we're not disagreeing as much as I thought we would, but that's okay. It's okay. Uh, next team is Eddie's team. And this was an interesting one because I think you especially have a long track record with this guy, but I have gone back and forth on what I think of this guy myself. The statement for Eddie's team is 
Tommy Edmond will outperform fellow second base outfield hybrid and fantasy teammate on Eddie's team, Cattell Marte, this season after being taken nearly 10 rounds later in the draft. Nick, do you buy or sell this? I'm buying. I'm buying this not on the talent, saying that Edmund is a better ball player than Cattell in real life. but And I know this is contrary to popular opinion for sure, but he's not that far off, at least in production. I think Tommy Edmund is extremely underrated. I don't think it will be long till we see him climb back up in that um, in the starting rotate or, you know, the batting order as well for the Cardinals. I know Dylan Carlson's already having struggles in that leadoff spot. I think Edmonds climbed from nine to six and has bounced right around the middle there. I think he just hit it. I just checked. He just hit a triple tonight against your boy, Jesus Lazardo. I mean, he's already producing. He's already hit two or three home runs, I believe. Um, so he's on a good lineup as well with the Cardinals and could tell the biggest knock against him is that offense with the Diamondbacks is terrible. It's awful. Even if he does well, is he driving in RBIs consistently? Like, are there going to be runners on? Is he going to be batted in getting runs as well on the, you know, on the stack stat sheet? I mean, how much is, I think his value is actually pretty inflated as the fantasy player on the fact that he's on the Diamondbacks. I think it should be, I I think it should be lower. And I think people are bought into him as a player but don't see the whole picture clearly to know that he should be, you know, brought down a little bit on, you know, the standings as far as, you know, rankings in the second base tier. And I think, uh, yeah, I do agree and buy into that. Tommy Edmond is going to pass him. I think that if Cattell Marte didn't have second base eligibility, like if he only had outfield, I think that he would be valued lower than a guy like Brian Reynolds. And that's not necessarily a knock because I think Brian Reynolds is super valuable, but similar team situations, I would definitely argue that the Diamondbacks are a worse offense to be in for fantasy just because the Pirates at least have some exciting players in the lineup now and and coming up. But I do think that Cattell Marte's second base eligibility kind of gives a boost to his value among the fantasy industry, but he's not the guy we're supposed to be talking about here. I buy this as well. I was a downer on Tommy Edmond coming into the year while being pretty high on Cattell Marte. And I typically do not change my mind so quickly and on such a small sample at that. But people that I believe are smarter than me when it comes to fantasy baseball and whose opinion I respect were very high on Tommy Edmond entering the season Next. and the and the skills that they were betting on him breaking out. Uh, they have shown to be true thus far. So I'm willing to change my mind based on those two things. He's shown the ability to hit the ball really hard so far. He's had really good plate discipline, and that's a great combination for our scoring. And his speed is the cherry on top, despite the fact that he hasn't stolen a base yet. He will get probably 15 or 20 steals. So that is a great skill set to have, a very well-rounded player. And I think I'm fully bought into him outperforming Cattell Marte this year. The next team is Jake's team. And this is a player that I'm pretty excited to talk about, despite the, it wasn't an awful performance today, but it wasn't good. Tyler McGill will finish as the second most valuable starter in the New York Mets starting rotation this season. I'll lead us off, Nick. I am buying this. This one is probably a bold take by me, but I absolutely buy 
Tyler McGill's small sample breakout across his first two starts. And I think that among all of the early season breakout pitchers that have seemingly come out of nowhere, that he is the best bet to turn into an ace if there was any this year, you know, among those guys that are kind of breaking out of nowhere. Yes, this would mean that he would have to finish better than three of Max Scherzer, Chris Bassett, Carlos Carrasco, and Jacob deGrom. The latter two do not worry me because deGrom's going to be out for probably at least a third of the season, more likely close to half the season. I don't mind Carlos Carrasco. I think he's going to be a good pitcher this year, but I'm not worried about Tyler McGill's ability to beat him out. So it's just really going to come down to can he beat out one of Max Scherzer and Chris Bassett? Uh, it's going to be tough. It would be very impressive if he did it, but I am buying the strides that he has shown us so far. So I'm going to make, I guess, a semi-bold take and say that I am buying the fact that he'll be the second most valuable starter in the Mets rotation this season. What about you? I'm selling, and let's get this straight. He's not beating Max Scherzer, barring injury. Max Scherzer tonight already is pitching close to six innings, has nine strikeouts, no hitter going, only one walk. He's the Scherzer that people drafted. And I said sell, knowing that, one, he's not going to beat out Scherzer. Two, he has to beat out both Bassett and Krasko. I didn't even factor in DeGrom because I don't think he's going to have, you know, I don't think he's going to have a full season under his belt. And so I just think by sheer probability, Chris Bassett pitching very well, Carlos Carrasco pitching very well. McGill also is pitching well, had a shaky start today. Um, I'm just going to err on the side of two over one. I think one of those two are more likely to beat out um, McGill than him being beating out both of them. I will say not that they're the same kind of pitcher, but I remember a few years ago when I was still relatively new to fantasy, I want to say it was my second or third year playing. Somebody made the bold. It was on the CBS fantasy baseball podcast. Um, So one of my favorite podcasts to listen to a guy that's actually not even on there anymore. But I remember his early season bold predictions. Uh, One of them was that Shane Bieber would be the second most valuable Cleveland starting pitcher that year. And that was when they had Mike Clevenger, who was peaking in his skill then. It was Trevor Bauer coming off of a very good season. They still had Carlos Carrasco. Um, I want to say they had another. They had Corey Kluber as well, who was, I know he seems old, kind of like an afterthought now, but he was a former AL Cy Young for the Cleveland Indians then now guardians. So that I thought that that was super, super bold back then. It ended up coming true. Um, I don't want to call Tyler McGill Bieber by any means, but I, this is the, a similar kind of vibe that I'm getting with the way that we phrased this statement for Jake's team. So I decided to buy it, be a little risky. There you go. Next team is your team, Nick. Uh, and this is a guy that's, that you have to be pumped about how he's been pitching so far this year. Carlos Rodon will be the best starting pitcher in baseball on a per-start basis this season. I'll let you kick it off with your guy. Come on. You know I'm buying this. I mean, look at what he's done in the start of the season. 21 strikeouts. 21 strikeouts and two starts while giving up just two runs. And he's in San Francisco, which it seems to be the pitcher's dream team to go to lately. I'm absolutely buying it. I'm buying it as well. Uh, Rodon has simply been awesome. There is nothing to nitpick as long as he is healthy. 
if he can start to work deep into games with any kind of consistency, I think that we could possibly see a guy that's at least in the same stratosphere as DeGrom when healthy. My question is, it always feels like the guys who are otherworldly and monumentally better than everybody else that are always injury prone, like Byron Buxton, Jacob DeGrom, you're going to call this unfair because of how awesome he's been this so far this year and last year, but Carlos or Carlos Rodon is, is, is still one of those guys for me until he can, he can show us with the volume that he's not. Sure. But I, but I buy it. I buy it. I'm, I'm rooting for him to stay healthy. He's awesome. I think we're going to disagree on this one, Nick, but we're going to go to my team next. Statement is, by the end of the season, my number two starting pitcher will be a guy that went Totally undrafted. That is Kyle Wright of the Atlanta Braves. What do you got for this one? Uh, wait, who are your pitchers again? List them off. My pitchers are Sandy Alcantara, Kyle Wright, Hunter Green, Asus Lazardo, Logan Webb, Lance Lynn, Sonny Gray, Tanner Houck, Kyle Gibson, Alex Wood. I mean, I have a couple other guys, but I don't think any of the other guys are going to threaten. Yeah, I'm guessing you're going to buy. <laughs> Nestor uh, Cortez as well. There you go. Yeah, there, there are a lot of guys right on similar plane as far as they seem to be at the start of the season have a very high ceiling from what they've shown from uh, the first few starts. But the floor is kind of unknown or could be very low. Kyle Wright's being one. And so with that, I'm, I'm going to sell. I don't know if I can completely buy into what Kyle Wright is doing currently. But I will give credit and say I will buy into the thought that he will be a very valuable uh, starting pitcher this year in fantasy. I'm not sure what type of finish that will be. Uh, I've already sold that he'll be the number two pitcher on your team, but I think he's going to be very relevant. I'll say right now and just be very conservative and say he'll be a top 40-ish pitcher. But, I mean, I would be excited if he were on my team and have the hopes that he can crack top 20, which is, you know, fantastic value especially going undrafted, if you can get it, a guy off the waiver as a top 20 pitcher. Um, so, yeah, I, I add that I'm selling, but it's a guy you should definitely be excited about. I'm buying this. Uh, Kyle Wright is number two in all of baseball on the strikeout to walk percentage leaderboard, only sitting behind none other than Carlos Rodon, who I just mentioned could enter the DeGrom skill level conversation this season with you know some health and volume. Strikeout to walk percentage is one of the quickest pitcher stats to stabilize. And in my opinion, it's one of the most important when it comes to identifying breakout pitchers. Combine Kyle Wright's great, great metrics so far with being on a great team in the Atlanta Braves. And he has former high prospect pedigree. And I think that we have ourselves a potential SP2 on our hands. So I'm buying it. I like, I, I did, I. Words I never thought I'd hear myself say two weeks ago. I love Kyle Wright this season, at least so far. <laughs> <laughs> so the, that leaves us with our final team, Sam's team, who's in first place overall. Shout out to him. He did a great job with his drafts, at least how it's playing out so far. Statement for him is Dylan Cease is and will remain Sam's staff ace. I'll lead us off. I'm selling this. The answer is simply that Sam also ro rosters both Corbin Burns and Garrett Cole. And that's not to suggest that Cease can't compete to be on their level, but 
honestly, that's what scares me about Sam's team. I think all three of these guys have the upside to finish number one overall at the position this year. So I kind of just suggested that I'm buying it, but in reality, I would mu- I'd be much more comfortable betting on Burns or Cole to be the guy compared to Dylan Cease. What do you think? Are you buying or selling this? My initial note said sell. Two reasons. Garrett Cole, Corbin Burns. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, Cole has not started off well. What if I told you he lasted not even two innings today? Yeah, he hasn't and he, been good he, so far. And he walked five guys. I wonder if Sam would take back that pick. <laughs> oh, he should have. Yeah, he should have won Soto there. Um, but uh, Corbin Burns, I'm not, I, I think he's pr- probably going to be the top ace if I were to pick between the three. Though I don't think Sam's crazy thinking that Dylan Cease is going to be. Um, I'm, not, I'm not a big fan of Cole, and it's already showing, and it, it probably will bounce back and he'll be great again, very likely. But I'm just not a fan of Cole. Uh, I like Corbin Burns, and I, I like the upside of Cease. I am selling it, just betting more on Corbin Burns, not on Garrett Cole, but Garrett Cole has the very likelihood that he could be Sam's top ace. And just for those reasons with Burns and Cole's likelihood, he can be as well. I have to sell it, but I don't think it's crazy to think that Dylan Cease could be the top guy on his staff. So there you have it. There are your buys or sells week one edition for each team. Matchup preview. Uh, Nick, what is your thing to watch for during our second scoring period? I have what top end pitchers will or will not return to form. And one, we just talked about Garrett Cole. What's he going to be like this matchup period? So far, not very good. Robbie Ray, I think he had a pretty good start as far as production, fantasy-wise, his first start. But didn't he struggle with second one? Uh, Yes. Yeah, I thought so. So I had Garrett Cole, Robbie Ray, Freddie Peralta, Zach Wheeler, a few of my guys, Max Free, Trevor Rogers, and then Jose Barrios. And I know there's a few more, but those are the ones I listed. How are these guys going to bounce? Are they going to get back to the form that we thought that they should be at, you know, compared to draft value and how they finished last year, or are they going to continue to uh, regress? Yeah. Robbie Ray pitches tonight. So I guess we're going to see with him. Shane Bieber was supposed to pitch yesterday and then the game got rained out. Then he was supposed to pitch today and the game got rained out. So <laughs> we have to I wait didn't put to him here him. just because what he's producing isn't terrible. It's like, you're not going to complain about it. It's just the velocity that everyone's yeah, really worried about. I think you about. want to closely watch right. his velocity. So he'll be interesting to watch. For me, I have my eyes on two matchups that I think are going to serve to assert the early season favorites in each division. So for the East Division, I'm watching the matchup between you and Sam. For the West Division, I'm watching the matchup between me and Jordan, which it feels like even is it feels is even more appropriate now that Jordan's stat correction moved him to two and zero. Oh as opposed to one and one. Yep. I think that these two matchups in particular are, it's hard to say after two weeks, you know, somebody's the favorite to kind of lead the division throughout the year. But I think that these are going to be super important uh, for the rest of the season in terms of who's able to kind of keep an, or grab and keep a lead in the divisions. Matchup predictions. So as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, Jake and I both went four and two last week. Nick, of course, is starting fresh. Let's start with the matchup between Jake and JC. So that's Jake's fantasy baseball team versus the NFTs. Nick, who do you have in this one? Okay, I will add, I just have picks here. And I did a quick look of matchup preview and who each guy 
throughout the matchups or each person throughout the matchups had started or had slated to start. I don't have much notes to add, but here between Jake and JC, I have the NFTs. I have JC's team coming out on top. I have Jake's team winning this one. Second matchup is Demons in the Infield versus the Walk Institute of Research, my team versus Jordan's. I have my team winning this one, even though we're not off to a great start. Who was your pick, Nick? This one took me a while to, uh, to decide. And actually, just because um, seeing Lizardo start, I ended up leaning uh, Jordan's side and chose the Walk Institute of Research. Boo, you're not supposed to use information that wasn't available to you before the matchup. Boo. Oh, well, <laughs> it's <did>. okay. It's <laughs> okay. Third matchup of the week is Big Money Mike versus Gone Forever. That is Mike versus Eddie. Who do you have in this one? I have Eddie gone forever. I also have Eddie potentially getting off, get him, getting himself off to a four and start. If he has a good week against the median <clears throat> next matchup is Buxton revenge tour versus team. No name Brendan versus Scott. I have Buxton revenge tour winning this one. How about you? As do I. And are you guys going to have Scott change his name? I know he, I know he took over a team that wasn't his. Um, but wasn't your guys thing the league, the team that finished last had their team's name decided on by the league? Yeah, I don't know where we landed with that since he didn't get to draft his last place yeah, team. Yeah, I, I think it's okay if you don't, just because he came in taking on a rebuilding, you know, quote-unquote team. Sam, if you're listening to this, throw a poll up in our Players Association chat. The league can vote on whether we feel it's right to name Scott's team for him. Second to last matchup is Team C Deemer versus Team Positivity, Courtney versus Jerowin. Nick, who do you have one in this one? I have Team C Deemer. I have Courtney. Yeah, no surprise based on what you know we shared earlier about Jerowin's team. I also have Courtney winning this one. That leaves the last matchup of the week, potentially the best. Freedom All-Stars versus Good on Paper. That's your team versus Sam's team. I have Sam winning this matchup. Team looked awesome coming out of week one. How about you? Tisk tisk. I have the Freedom All Stars. I have to go with my team. Come on, it's coached by Sh- Big Shane, our dad. That's who's in the picture actually for for my team. Um, our dad wearing a Freedom All Stars shirt. Uh, I got to roll with my team. So there you have it. That is our matchup predictions for week two. That brings us to the around the league portion of the podcast. I will be providing. Jake's league history fact of the week this week. Uh, He passed this along to me. The Jordan-Brendan week one matchup was a matchup of two teams with very different opening week results since they have joined the league. Jordan's head-to-head win was his first opening week head-to-head win ever. Well, Jake said that he still lost to the median, giving him just as many opening week median wins as his predecessor, Brian, who he took the team over for only played one season in 2017 that's apparently incorrect now because of the stat correction so now he has doubled brian's league median league median wins in the opening week of the season with two to brian's one but on the other side of the matchup brendan entered the opening week matchup with jordan this year on an 8-0 hot streak so this uh this past week's loss to jordan marked his first opening week defeat since his week one loss to Courtney all the way back in 2017. So that is your league history fact of the week. 
News and notes, Nick. After each of the following players that I list who were placed on the injured list during our first scoring period, I want you to let me know on a scale of 1 to 10 how worried you are about the injury affecting their value this season as it relates to both future performance or ability to stay healthy. Lucas Giolito, who went on the IL with abdominal tightness. Uh, three and a half, 3.5. Okay, not very worried. John Gray with a blister. One. Blake Snell with a left adductor strain or a groin injury. And I'll note, this is the same injury that he left during the fantasy playoffs with last year. Five. Wow, not that worried about him. I mean, six. (laughs) (laughs) Taiwan Walker with shoulder inflammation. Seven. Just counting at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Tay Oscar Hernandez with an oblique strain. Four. Luis Patino with an oblique strain. Six. Casey Mize with an elbow sprain. Uh, Five. Being pretty con- <laughs> You're being conservative. <laughs> Sonny Gray with a hamstring. Uh, three. John Means with forearm inflammation. And by the way, he went on the 60-day IL. Yeah, nine, ten. <laughs> ten, yeah. Uh, Hyunjin Ryu, who went on the IL with forearm soreness. I saw today that they're hoping he only misses two or three starts. Six. He sucks. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I, I'd probably go with like a seven and a half or an eight with for him. These guys are honorable mentions since they did not go to the IL and they should not miss much time, but it still felt appropriate to include them because we did see injury scares from them so far. Mike Trout, who was hit by a pitch on his hand, the x-rays came back negative. He is, last year he, he, he wasn't on the field very much. Do you have any concerns with him? I probably have more healthy? concerns than most because I'm the owner of Mike Trout, though I know I shouldn't. I think he'll be fine. But because he's on my team, I obviously probably am more worried than most. Sure, yeah. Byron Buxton, who hurt his knee on a slide, there's no structural damage, but he is not back in the lineup yet that seems a little curious to me yeah that's weird i want to say i'm not worried but when you take in his injury history you probably should be i'm sure brendan is um overall i would say i'm not that worried i need to see what he yeah what he looks like next time he steps on the field sure i think it would be in the twins best interest to dh him for at least like a week when he comes back they should why why wouldn't they oh because their backup center fielder is liability defensively whereas Buxton's yeah, but what's more important, on the health. Buxton healthy yeah or... I agree I agree um the next piece of news is Ronald Acuna Jr. is starting a rehab assignment today with the AAA Gwinnett Stripers with a target return date to make his MLB season debut of Friday May 6th so that's like two and a half weeks from now now I saw today. This is I. I know what I wrote down, but I saw today that they're actually having him play right field tonight. I thought that the plan all along has been for them to DH him during his minor league rehab, and then even DH him for like a week once he get once he you know made his season debut. They're starting him in right field right from the get go. <laughs> so the original question that I had was, do you really think it's going to take that long for Acuna to ramp up if he's only going to be DHing on this rehab assignment? and for the first few days once he's up with the Major League Club. 
I guess there's more of an argument to be made for it taking this long if he's playing the field, but I'll still ask, do you like do you really think it's gonna take two and a half weeks for him to get up with the major league team? It seems pretty long. Nope, I just got a message. He's traveling out to LA to play tonight. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I was about to say. Um, no, I wouldn't be surprised if he was playing next week, to be honest. Yeah, and I, I the other thing that I've been hearing is that Acuna himself has been really pressured. You can only do so much as a player, right? But he is letting the Braves know that he wants to play like right now, if he could, up with the major league club. So I think that that certainly helps his case. I would be surprised if we're at May 1st and he's not with the Atlanta Braves, even though they said May 6th. Okay, next piece of news. This is probably one of my favorite parts of the episode because I've been waiting to talk about this. Um, so I mentioned earlier that Kyle Wright is second on the strikeout to walk leaderboard in terms of strikeout to walk percentage among all starting pitchers. But here is your top 10 so far. Number one is Carlos Rodon with a 37.8 strikeout to walk percentage. The man. Number two is Kyle Wright with a 33.3% mark. Number three is Andrew Heaney with a 32.5% mark. Four is Joe Musgrove with a 31.1% mark. Kevin Gosman is actually tied with him with the same mark. Number six is Tyler McGill. That's probably lower now after the shaky start today. He had 30.6%. Seven is Kyle Gibson, a 30.2% mark. Shouldn't have dropped him. Eight is Carlos Carrasco, 28.2% strikeout to walk percentage. Nine, Dylan Cease, 26.8%. And 10 is Hunter Green, 26.2%. I wanted to add in, didn't Hunter Green throw something like, was it, am I going crazy? Was it 30 pitches over 100 miles per hour in his start the other night? 38. Dude, that's crazy. Yeah, 38. And he is good to go because he just had Tommy John surgery like a year and a half ago. So he is good to go. <laughs> He's going to be throwing 100 miles per hour for at least five years before he has to get that second Tommy John surgery. Gosh, that's wild. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. So, Nick, I just named 10 guys. Obviously, they range from ace all the way to waiver wire pickups. Do you buy the early performance of these 10 guys so far? And if you don't, which guys in particular are you skeptical on? Uh, I mentioned I'm skeptical on Heaney. I mentioned I'm a little skeptical on Kyle Wright being a top end ace. I think he will remain very fantasy relevant. Um, I'm, I'm, I mean, skeptical in the sense of what? It's hard to say. Like, I, I don't think Kyle Gibson's going to be an ace, but I think he'll be a guy you want to roster. Um, and when I, say, like, when I say when I say skeptical, I don't mean like like I don't I don't expect most of these guys to be top ten in the leaderboard at season's end. Yeah. But basically, I'm suggest I'm 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 asking like, do you think that they're getting lucky so far, or do you think that this is like a strong supporter of their performance? Okay, I'll say who's I think Rodon. This is correct, right? Mm. A little bit of luck, but I could be wrong there because I mean, mm. watching him makes me want to think that I that this is correct. I think it could continue. He okay. I, I, Heaney, I think, is a little bit more luck. Musgrove more correct. Gosman more correct. McGill, I want to lean more correct. Um, I think there's some luck there, but I think he's more likely to break out than, say, an Andrew Heaney. Um, Kyle Gibson, I think it's more luck. 
Carrasco, a little bit of both. Dylan Seifs, um, I think he's going to break out. Hunter Green, um, I think he's probably more MLB time. I'm not sure if he'll break out to a top-end ace, but I think he'll do very well. Yeah, I, I think I'm with you on everything except for Kyle Gibson. Now, admittedly, I don't love Kyle Gibson, but what I have noticed and what made me put in a claim on him without hesitation is that through his two starts so far, he has over 30 swinging strikes. So when it comes to like, are we, you know, we're talking about luck in this strikeout to walk percentage leaderboard, I would maybe consider like an umpire, you know, calling strikes, maybe a little bit more luck, like a catcher framing strikes on the edge of the zone. But just given the volume of swinging strikes Kyle Gibson has got so far, he's probably the only guy I would say like, it's certainly a surprise that he is up here with these with these names, but I don't think that he's necessarily gotten lucky to get there so far. Sure. So we'll definitely see with those guys. I've mentioned, go ahead, go ahead. We just had a breaking trade and it's an eight player trade. Did you see this yet? I did not. It's huge. Four players for four from Brennan, Brendan, I'm sorry, to Mike. Oh boy. I'm still loading here. some, Some huge names here. Go ahead and break it for us. Yeah, go break it for us. So Brendan is sending Mike Clevenger, yep. uh, Edwin Diaz, Trevor Story, John Carlos Stanton, and Mike is sending Will Smith, the relief reliever, pitcher, the reliever, yep. Shane Baz, Cody Bellinger, and Austin Meadows. Yeah, that's a big trade. My initial reaction is that I like what Mike is getting. I agree. I don't think that Will Smith is going to be a difference-making relief pitcher unless or until Kenley Jansen falls apart or gets hurt. Shane Baz is on the 60-day IL, so then that just leaves Cody Bellinger and Austin Meadows. Yeah, I'm not I, a huge fan of either of those two. I really like uh, Mike's return on this. Yeah. Because Clevenger um, will be back sooner than later. Diaz is one of the top RPs right now. Trevor Story, bigger name than production lately. I already shared my thoughts with you earlier about this. I'm not a big buyer in this story, but I mean, I think he's should be started and rostered on most of every team. Um, and then John Carlos Stanton has been having a great start to the season. Yeah, I don't like John Carlos Stanton, but I do like Clevenger, Edwin Diaz, and Trevor Story. I think yeah. that this. Gave Mike big names and made his roster deeper. He kind of killed two birds with one stone with this. I know Brendan was trying to get a left fielder. I'm not quite sure why he was pushing so hard for it. Just because, let me flip over to his roster real quick. He previously moved Mookie Betts to second base. Jeff McNeil, who I was an idiot for dropping, to left field. He has been doing well so far. Honestly, this tells me that he's not that confident in Byron Buxton's ability to stay healthy. Because yeah. if Byron Buxton's healthy, he's your center fielder. Mookie Betts can slide to second base. And I think Jeff McNeil was a fine left fielder. Yeah, and left field's one of the deepest positions, to be honest. Speaking of, I'm just looking at it now. John Carlos Stanton is, he is yeah, not no, he's off not. to a strong, he's not. He's not to a strong start. He's I remember just, just watching the first, I think, game or two, and then he yeah. was doing well. Stanton is just not the type of player that I like in our format. Um, 
But other than John Carlos Stanton, I do really like Mike Clevenger, Edmund Diaz, and Trevor Story. Even though, like you said, Trevor Story's kind of been a bum dating back all the way to last year. I do think that he'll bounce back. He's in a he's in a good lineup in a good ballpark. Yeah, I like it. Um, and even even if he doesn't bounce back, I mean, Mike's getting Tatis back, and he can always just throw Story in UT second base. whenever he is hot. Or second base. Is he second base eligible? He is not currently, but he has six starts there, and he is the oh, Red yeah, Sox starting second base. So, yeah, you would throw anybody with upside at second base because it's a pretty shallow position. So, yeah, I think Mike's return here, I would say, yeah, it's very, very good for him. Now, I'll speak to Brendan's return just because I don't want it to feel – like we just hate his return. Cody Bellinger has shown signs of life. He's averaging two and a half points per game, which like it's crazy to say this about a former MVP who's still only 26 years old, but that is very encouraging based on what he showed us last year. Uh, so I think that Brendan was really buying into upside with this trade. I see Austin Meadows as part of the return as well. He's only, we mentioned he's doing well, but you know, he's only averaging 2.3 points per game so like if we're saying that i think that's going to be austin meadows right i think he's going to give you volume more than like per game impact so and i heard someone say the other day watching the tigers uh i think i was listening to um or maybe i read something while i was watching a tigers game and somebody put out that austin meadows will always be more valued in the fantasy world than he is in real life he's just not the He's not a he's not a fantastic ball player, right? Uh, you know, if Cody Bellinger bounces back to 2019, Cody Bellinger, then I think that this is a fine trade. I would yeah, probably call probably it a good trade. Right. I would call it a good trade. But there's also and the you're risk really of, betting on Bellinger bouncing back, which lately, the past few days, he's been showing he might be on that track doing so. Right, but then again, I think you have to. You have to be fair on the other side and say, what if Mike Clevenger and Trevor Story show to be their 2019 selves? And then I would say it's back to being not so right. There's, uh, even. Uh, yeah. I won't add any more. I just, yeah, I like the return on Mike's side more. So there you have, I guess, your third trade of this episode. And that brings us to our last piece of news and notes. I've mentioned almost all of these guys at least once so far this episode, but I wanted to make sure to officially give airtime to them here at the end of the episode. Tyler McGill, Jesus Lazardo, Hunter Green, Kyle Wright, and Andrew Heaney have all been awesome so far, and to me, they're all pretty clear full-season breakout candidates. I'm not going to say they're breakouts, but they are certainly up on everybody's list across the industry as candidates to be guys that are true difference makers this season. So I'll ask you, Nick, putting fantasy aside, which of these guys in particular are you personally most excited to watch this season? Uh, I think I just because he throws so many darn fastballs over 100 miles per hour, I have to say Hunter Green, though I think the one likely to have the best year, I'm, I'm actually going to say Kyle Wright <laughs> for you. Kyle Wright was going to be my pick. It was It's so funny you mentioned those two guys, Hunter Green and Kyle Wright, because those were the two guys that I was deliberating between. I, I was kind of thinking that you would say Hunter Green because he's he's the young and exciting guy. He was and I think the, most of the – to give some credit to like Jake's side, because Jake has Tyler McGill, I think most of the fantasy world will say Tyler McGill of this group. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. I mean, 
And I know a lot of people are really excited about Andrew, oh, Andrew Heaney. Heaney. Well. Right. Yeah. Like if he does develop into maybe not, maybe not a Cy Young, but like if he is really good this year, people are just going to call him the 2022 Robbie Ray. Like that's just how the fantasy world operates. They are going to label him as Robbie Ray of this year. So there's a lot of excitement to be had there if he can continue. But I think for me too, just because you and I talked about this over the weekend, I think the Braves are my favorite team that's not my favorite team. Like, of course, I'm a Pirates fan first and foremost. But when it comes to baseball teams that I just really love watching and I think are very charismatic to almost root for, the Atlanta Braves are at the top of the list for me. I have a lot of Atlanta Braves across all the leagues that I play in. So I think it's going to be easy to root for Kyle Wright this season. So I I think I would go with him, even if he's not as flashy of a pitcher as, say, like a Hunter Green or a Jesus Lazardo, or I guess even like Heaney, who's shown a ton of strikeout ability so far early in the season. I think Kyle Wright's my guy this year to watch. But that brings us to the end of the episode. Nick, thanks for coming on. Thanks for, I know you were just supposed to be a guest host this week, but thanks for, you ended up filling in for Jake. I know that he appreciates that. Do you have anything to share with the rest of the league? I'm sure we'll have you back on at least one more time, if not a couple more times this season. No, nothing major to share. This uh, start of the year has definitely been more enjoyable for me now that I know a little bit of baseball. I've been enjoying just sitting around watching baseball, especially now that we have a newborn in the house. I get to, kind of hang out and chill all day while I have some time off. So it's been nice. It's been an enjoyable start to the season. Yeah. Congrats on the birth of your daughter. It's the, I felt like this is the most appropriate time to say it here on our fantasy baseball podcast. So I wanted to say congrats to you. There you go. Your niece, <laughs> Juna. Yeah. I thought that was funny that, that Mike texted the group chat to tell you congrats, mm-hmm. but that's Mike. He likes to share, sharing the excitement with everyone. So But that wraps it up for us here on the third episode of the 2022 season. We will see you guys next week for the week two recap, the week three preview. So until then, for Nick, I am Nate Endries, and we will see you next week. I think it's it's just going to be me and Jake next week, but potentially Mike. I'm not sure. But either way, you'll see us next week. Eert.